You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we do pray. Because your word, the unfolding of it, gives us light, because it imparts understanding to the simple, we We open up the mouths of our souls and we pant because we long for your commandments. Lord, we pray that you would turn to us and be gracious to us, which is your way with those who love your name. Lord, keep steady our steps according to your promises. Please, Lord, let no iniquity get dominion over us. Redeem us from oppression that we may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon us, Lord, your servants. And please, this afternoon, teach us your statutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Greetings to everyone. My name is Clint. Just one of the four pastors here at Christ Church. Honored and blessed to be able to spend extra time in God's Word this week in an effort to bring it to you and teach it to you. Thank you for your joyful submission to us as leaders as we seek to unfold God's precepts and His Word and His truths each and every week. Many people, whether, whether it is your first time to pick up this book, or your 50th time, or your 500th or 5,000th time to read the Scriptures, many of us often drift into error when we pick it up and treat it like an encyclopedia of do's and don'ts. So I want to give you a friendly warning. Don't do that. This is not an encyclopedia of do's and don'ts. This is an um, unfolding story of a relationship between a creator and his creation that was broken by sin and is being restored by a saving 
Son. And that should dictate how we read the Scriptures. That especially should dictate how we read commands that we come upon. And here we are in the middle of ten commandments. And we're about to hit, what, 600 or so more after this. And if we're not in the right headspace and soul space as we move into these commands and as we linger in them even now, we could find ourselves off the rails and actually doing more harm than good. The Scriptures are faithful. God is faithful in His Scriptures to always root His commands in a reality that is already fixed, and that is what He has done for us. I always like to go to Romans to see the best, maybe perhaps the most clear example of this. In the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle unfolds all of the darkness of human sin and the rejection of their Creator. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There's no one good, not even one. And then he unfolds in those first 11 chapters, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And, and one of the uh, verses we use often in our uh, profession of faith, and our assurance of pardon, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8. Well, eventually, he wraps that bit up of the gospel, the good news of sinners saved by Jesus alone. And at the very beginning of Romans chapter 12, he says, therefore, therefore, and then he spins the rest of his letter to the Romans, unpacking what that ought to mean for people who are saved. So, the Old Testament actually is no different. It might be tempting to think, oh, the Old Testament's different. It just gives you a bunch of commands, and if you don't do them, you're just in trouble. I'll go read Romans, right? But no, Exodus 20 is actually very much, it's written by the same God, right? Through fallen men, but written by the same God. And if we're not careful, we can skip right over those first few lines in Exodus 20 that say this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Have you rooted every understanding and analysis that you've given to the Ten Commandments so far in that reality? That God is the God who brings His people out of slavery. If we're not careful, we'll go to the Scriptures looking for do's and don'ts. How can I be a better person? How can I be uh, better toward God, better toward my neighbor? And maybe, maybe I'll earn some points and God will love me more. No, it's exactly the opposite. You didn't deserve God's love. He gave it to you. Israel didn't deserve to be let out of slavery. They had rejected God in many ways too, and yet He rescued them. And He has rescued us. Our obedience, every time, every time our obedience ought to be rooted in a responsive, a thankful love instead of an ob obligatory point-earning system that we've created in our society and in our souls. So with this uniquely Christian paradigm fixed in our hearts and minds, let's take some time to tackle this fourth commandment to remember and keep the Sabbath. The outline that I'm going to try to stick to uh, this afternoon goes something like this. The Sabbath is rooted, the Sabbath is remembered, the Sabbath is wrecked, and the Sabbath is redeemed. So first, the Sabbath is rooted. It is rooted, the Sabbath is rooted, as we saw in the text. It was read for us. It is rooted in creation. After three of the Ten Commands are given about loving God rightly, this one seems to come a bit out of left field. If we look closer, we'll see that it is actually a hinge from uh, loving God and keeping that love of God focused on Him and also now loving neighbor. So from now on, we'll talk about loving neighbor and how we actually love God by loving our neighbors. But the Sabbath is a bit of a hinge. Look in verse uh, 11, if you would. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So he's rooting it in creation. 
He made the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He set it apart. Now, let's not read this wrongly. God rested? We have, we have a tired God. God needed a rest. Is God this, uh, let's just say, late 30s, 37-year-old man who, 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 who takes on a project that, uh, you know, he's already passed his prime, and he denies that more often than he should, and he tries to play indoor soccer, or he um, tries to dig a hole, and uh, he is at his end within three to four minutes and realizes uh, how weak and feeble he is. No, God is not like that. He's the billion-year-old, quadrillion-year-old, uncountable years-old God. And, I, and the prophet Isaiah says this, Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. So God did not need some sort of, I'm tired. If I don't rest, I'm going to burn out. I'm going to crash. I need to be renewed or else, right? He's not looking around for the AED. That's what they're called, right? Things on the wall. You think you feel like you broke your heart or, and you're like, I got to go get that thing. I was looking for that the other night. God did take a day off, but he took a day off from his creative work. In fact, what we see in the book of Genesis is that he was done creating all things in six days, and yet he made his own transition to rule over those things and enjoy those things, and praise be to him, he invited his creatures into that, into that co-rule. He commissioned Adam and Eve to co-rule this creation with him, and so this enjoyment. Notice, too, if you read Genesis 2, there's no end, there's no there's no morning and evening, the end of the seventh day. This day, this seventh day was meant to go on and on and on. We were meant to live in this perfectly created creation, ruling over and actually working as we rule over creation and bring order out of the chaos of, of unindustrialized materials in this world, right? That's what we were supposed to do without the hindrance of sin, without the hindrance of thorns in creation. And yet, and yet, though that was perfect and sinless and tearless and painless, it was interrupted. It was interrupted by sin. It was interrupted by rebellion. God's people were in God's place, in God's presence, in, under his loving rule, and that all came crumbling down because of sin. Adam unjustly blaming Eve, Eve blaming the serpent, God justly cursing the serpent and the earth. The ruling and representing image that we bore, now broken. Mankind cast out of God's presence because of sin that saturated their souls. And yet, and yet, a promise made. A promise that one day the curse would be undone. A promise that one day the rest would return in full. God was not done with his people. He continued to pursue them. He offered covenant after covenant, loving promise after loving promise. And every time he did, he said, all you got to do is trust in me and follow me. And I'll bless you. I will keep you. I will protect you. I will take care of you. And we will be in harmony forever. The rest will return if you'll trust in me and follow me. And he gave a sign for every one of those. He called out Noah to save him. Get in the boat. 
I'll save you from the just and complete annihilation of humankind. All you have to do is trust me. Follow me. And I'll give you a sign to remind you. It'll be a promise in the sky. It'll be a rainbow. And I'll set it down in the sky. And I'll point it back at me in my war bow full of rain. Next time I pull it back and let it loose, the judgment that comes for sin will be on me. He called out Abraham, saying, follow me and I'll, I'll be your God. I'll bless you. I'll make you a blessing among the nations. And I'm going to give you a sign too, a less, a less physically acceptable to you, I'm sure, sign. But circumcision, Abraham, he's like, great. He's like, they'll know you're mine now, Abraham. And yet one day I will circumcise your hearts. This will be fulfilled when the Holy Spirit comes inside you. And we see that revealed throughout Scripture. In both, God was seeking to offer this restoration of the rest he and Adam and Eve enjoyed before the fall. And in every case, God kept his side of the agreement and mankind did not. So here's, here we find ourselves in Exodus 20. Abraham's people have grown um, barely countable in the wilderness, having been saved from the hands of Pharaoh. And he gives them another sign, the Sabbath. It is indeed rooted in God's restful co-rule of a perfect creation. That rest has been lost, but God is determined to restore it, and he tells them to remember it. So next, we see the Sabbath remembered by Israel. He tells them to remember it. And he doesn't tell them to remember it just back to creation. In Exodus 16, just a few chapters back, we saw this. Right after being rescued, right after the Red Sea swallows up Pharaoh and his men, Israel began grumbling against God, complaining about the desert and the lack of food and wondering if, is God really going to fulfill his side of this agreement? Is he really going to be trustworthy with our very lives? He has no onions. He has no leeks. He has no meat. Clearly, the slavery, the people of Israel ran deeper than the chains that were on their arms. It ran all the way into their souls. And Israel, out of ingratitude, complained and groaned. But God made it very clear that he would continue to provide for them. He could have wiped them out right there because of their inward sinful slavery. And he didn't. He said, go and collect this bread out of heaven. These quail, miraculously, collect them and eat them. But only do it six days a week. Exodus 16 says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on that seventh day. God, in a very loving way, had already built into their regular rhythm a restful time that set them apart from all the nations. These self-serving, self-driven, slave-capturing and driving nations. His people would be different than Egypt that they came out from. Don't gather all seven days for yourself. Rest on one of those days. Don't be like the nations who work and work and work and they never cease their daily grind of, of self-reliance, self-provision, self-trust, self-idolatry. It is all intermingled. And we know that as we're honest with ourselves. 
You will not be like the nations who enslave their neighbors. You will not join them in restless idolatry. You will take a day off and you will not gather for yourself. You will rest from your work. You will rest in me. You will allow those who work with you to rest as well. Those who work for you to rest as well. You will trust that I am the great provider. And even as you go collect, you'll remind yourself, I am the great provider. You are not your provider. Just a quick side note about work because I think our text says just as much about work as it does about rest. Six days you shall work, it says. Did you hear that? You shall work. Friends, God wants everyone to work. God cares that we work and he cares about our particular work. Paul tells the Thessalonians, if you do not work, you do not eat. He tells Timothy, if someone doesn't provide for their immediate and extended family, they're worse than an unbeliever. He's serious about using our time to work and provide for ourselves and others. So business, economy, supply, demand, these are all built into the very fabric of our human neediness and our human ability to meet others' needs. Work is essential to humanity. God expected Adam and Eve, before sin ever hit the scene, to work. He expected them to work. One guy over at the ERLC, which is a, is a sub-organization under the Southern Baptist Convention, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Daniel Darling, they, they come out with some great materials. He calls work an internship for eternity. Because work was good and right before the fall and has been corrupted and frustrated by the fall but it will be restored and made right in eternity. Russell Moore says it best. Our jobs, whether preaching the gospel or loading docks or picking avocados or writing legislation or herding goats, they are not accidental. Our lives now are shaping us and preparing us for a future rule. And that includes the honing of conscience and a sense of wisdom and prudence and justice. God cares about what's happening through our work. Work is a way we reflect our creator who brought order out of chaos as he created all things and organized this universe to function rightly. Ask yourself, friends, often while you're working, don't just go through it mindlessly. Ask yourself, how am I bringing order out of chaos here? In a huge way, you're bringing it by loving your neighbor. Work is about loving your neighbor. Think about it. Before there was ever currency, there was bartering, there was trading. The candle maker brought candle order out of string and wax chaos. The cheese maker made cheesy order out of milky chaos. And Nico's like, cheese is still chaos. Don't give me any of that cheese. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what all work falls under. Spend your time, spend your energy, spend your talent loving others who need things from you. Cabinet maker, love your neighbor by making their cabinets with all your hearts. Software designer, love your neighbor. Design it well for them. Defense mechanisms and systems that shall not be named. Maker, love your neighbor. Love us all, please. Barista, love your neighbor. Concrete company employee, concrete company employer, 
nurse, surgeon, stay-at-home mom, electrician, office cleaner, gas station attendant, preacher, porta potty mover, trash collector. Love your neighbor by working. You shall work. You shall work. And guess what? By God's gracious wisdom and design and miracle, just because it seems common doesn't mean it's not a miracle. By God's miracle, your customers and clients and employers, they ought to love you back by putting a roof over your head, by putting clothes on your back, food on your table, hobbies into your schedule, and enough to share with others. And hopefully enough to share with others who can never pay you back. What a sweet system of provision God has created for us. And we ought to trust more in God in the midst of this system. So whether bread was miraculously falling from heaven in the wilderness or miraculously later, once they're in the land, growing from the ground in the form of wheat, God wanted the Israelites to stand out among the nations and be set apart by their radical trust in him by slowing down to a full stop on Saturdays. Several chapters later in Exodus 31, God will clarify how serious he is about this Sabbath as a sign to distinguish his people as his own. He says this, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be, what? Put to death. Whoever does any work on it that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. He's repeating himself on us. He's serious, folks. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God's saying, if you trust in your own hands ultimately as the provision for yourself, like the nations do, like Pharaoh did, you make those who work for you keep toiling and never rest in my faithful provision, I'll kill you. God is the provider. Yes, he wants us to work. And he wants us to work long and hard to provide for ourselves and others. But we must remember, we must remember that behind all of our work and all of our provision, he is the one providing both now, temporarily, and ultimately, eternally. Every one of us could use some of this wisdom that comes to Israel and that they're called to remember. How hard is it for you to go to work, to get a job, Are you working six days? Are you working four days? Are you working any days? Friend, work. And yes, sisters and some of you brothers, raising children full time and keeping home, that absolutely counts. You are using your time and your abilities to bring value not only to their lives, but to our community by raising them up in that way with that particular attention. So thank you. Have you engaged as much as possible in the economy that Jesus designed to allow people to love their neighbors as themselves? If not, maybe the rest itself has become an idol as we confessed in our confession today. Or, the other side, have you engaged in work 
too much? Are you resting enough? Do you, do you say with your mouth, God is my provider, but you say with your schedule, he's actually not. I am. Do you have mercy on those who work for you? Do you, do you give them that full day off? Or do you take your rest at their expense? Do you know when to shut off the grind? Focus on your family. Focus on your relationship with the Lord. Rest in Him. Does your family need you to give it a rest? Sometimes, depending on your work, that could mean having the phone nearby and mind dumping so that you're not distracted in your conversations with people or distracted in your conversation with the Lord. And other times it means just turning the thing off and putting it away. Commence the eye rolls from the front row. I get it. He's working on me too. I'll expect you to bring this up later. (laughs) Let's ask ourselves, friends, are we set apart from the speed and grind of a godless world going after the next dollar or the next project or the next promotion or the next deal or the next rung of economic stability, all at the expense of knowing and showing God's true rest. Israel was commanded to remember and keep the Sabbath, but as we'll see in our third point here, they wrecked the Sabbath. Throughout Israel's history, they neglected this sign of the Sabbath, and they sadly, very sadly, you're going to see it in a minute, paid the price. In Numbers 15, the Israelites found a man gathering sticks so that those that found him arrested him and took him to Moses. They asked Moses, what should we do with this guy? In verse 35 of Numbers 15, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. Kind of makes you want to stop reading the Bible and go look somewhere else. Stoned to death for picking up sticks? I think if you asked the Lord that, he would say no. He was not stoned to death for picking up sticks. God does not punish an individual or discipline a nation. Can you imagine being the people picking up the stones? Sticks. Lighter than the stones we're picking up right now. God does not punish an individual or discipline a nation for simply picking up sticks and seeking to provide for their family. Just like a parent ought not ever spank a child for simply touching something that is off limits. Parents, you ought to spank your child, not for what they touched, but for what their touching of you, what you told them not to touch, says about your relationship with them. And same goes for the sticks on the Sabbath. Toddler, knowing the expectation of their parent and going directly against it, regardless of what it is, is sending a clear message. You are not my boss. You are not good for me. And whoever sent you must not be good for me either and must not be my boss. What a sad trajectory. And we'll hear more about that next week. And obey and honor, honor your mother and father. The man gathering sticks is saying something by his gathering. God is not a gracious enough provider for me that I can trust. And that kind of distrust in the heart, 
not just with the hands, not just with sticks. That kind of distrust in the heart is toxic for God's people. It smells like the nations, the nations who reject their maker day in and day out, week in and week out, generation in and generation out. God knew that when his people played loose with the Sabbath, it was a sign that their hearts had broken loose from worshiping him alone. Self-worship was on its way in. You aren't my provider. I am. Did you hear that, God? I am. This is why God would eventually cast judgment upon Israel and exile them from his presence. Exile them from his blessing. Off to Babylon with you. Why? Because they broke the commandments. Yes, but they, they didn't listen to his word because they didn't love him and they didn't worship him. It was more about their relationship. Listen to how God speaks through Ezekiel, reminding him of Israel's rebellion. In Ezekiel 20, so I led them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules by which if a person does them, he shall live. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes, but rejected my rules, by which, again, if a person does them, he shall live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. And I said I would pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make a, to make a full end of them. But... I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out of Egypt. Skipping down to verse 18. And I said to their children in the wilderness, so, so now we're in the second generation. Your parents didn't do it. Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, the ways of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you now, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which, again, if a person does them, he shall live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and, and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. Moreover, I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them through the countries because they had not obeyed my rules but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths and their eyes were set on their father's idols. God's essentially recalling here to, through Ezekiel what his posture toward Israel was, and that was this. If you want to act like the nations by worshiping their gods, I will discipline you by evicting you just like I did them for you. And if we fast forward to Jesus' day, by the time he hits the scene, the Sabbath had been totally hijacked by Israel. It had been twisted. It had been turned upside down. Instead of serving the people to remind them of who they were in their neediness and who God was in his provision for them. It had been twisted and braided into another slave master's whip meant to manipulate people and to keep them in bondage. And this brings us to our final point. Even though the Sabbath was wrecked by Israel, the Sabbath has been forever redeemed by Christ. 
The mean girls of Jesus' day were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they sought to control the people of Israel by acting as if they themselves not only were capable of obeying all the laws perfectly and being right in God's eyes, therefore, but were doing that. Not just capable, but they were doing it. And they were determined to catch Jesus not doing it, to discredit his ministry, to discredit ultimately his claim to divinity. And we look in the book of Matthew. I actually lost my reference. What's it going to be? Doesn't have it either. We'll see it at the end. I think it's 14. Jesus entered their synagogue on the Sabbath. Let's see how this works out for them. And a man was there with a withered hand, and the Pharisees asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And destroy him they would, at least temporarily. But their destruction was imminent, and it would be eternal if they did not repent. Why? Because they were trusting in their works of righteousness to save themselves eternally, even as they sought to not work on the Sabbath and keep everyone from working on the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He knew exactly what the Sabbath was for, and he knew exactly what the Sabbath was not for. And it was not for dumping a work-free, earn-your-way-to-heaven burden of rule-keeping on his people. It was not for that. Rather, the Sabbath was meant to serve and restore and remind them and keep their focus on this loving God who had provided all they needed and was now providing all they needed in Jesus. Jesus, guys, he did not keep the Sabbath once a week. He remembered and kept the Sabbath every moment of every day of his life. He kept love and devotion to God at the center of everything he did, from listening to God's word, to spreading it to others, to obeying his and honoring his mother and father when he was young, to being a hardworking carpenter, from, from loving his neighbors by healing them no matter what day of the week it was, and eventually by loving his enemies unto his own demise. And now listen to how, the Paul, how Paul the Apostle helps us understand the truest reality behind this Sabbath that we have now in Christ. You'll recognize the first few lines here from Colossians 2, because we use them a lot in our assurance of pardon here in our liturgy. Here we go. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over, in, or triumphing, triumphing over them in him. Therefore, therefore, because that has already happened, because he has triumphed, because we've been forgiven of all our trespasses, because the legal demands don't apply to us anymore in Christ. Therefore, he says, just like Paul says, 
Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to the festival or new moons or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Did you hear it? Our forever debt, sin, has been paid and forever canceled. We cannot work it off. In Christ, there's nothing more to work off even. The true and forever Sabbath has come and he is reintroducing this Sabbath to his people and he is calling them to rest in it while they're working and while they're physically resting. To rest spiritually in Jesus. If I walked into my home after a long, hard day of work and my children and my wife found my shadow and said, Dad, hey, how was your day? To my shadow, or my wife tried to kiss my shadow, or hug my shadow, or call my shadow babe, something would be very, very off in our home. And I would be very sad and broken. But that's what we do if we focus just on the letter of this law in one day a week and not focus on Christ, the ultimate fulfillment of this rest that God calls his people to be in and to live in. When Jesus returns, he will bring with him a forever and perfect rest for us. Even as we work in eternity, we will rest in him and rule along his, alongside him. We will rest from any temptation of feeling guilty, any temptation of earning our own in his eyes, any temptation of boasting will not be ours because we will be resting fully in him. Friends, do you want to remember and keep the Sabbath? Remember Christ. When you lie down, remember Christ. When you rise up, remember Christ. When you walk by the way, when you drive your kids to their school, to their sports, when you eat dinner with your family, when you welcome in the stranger, when you wake up in the morning, when you, when you take lunch, when you interact with your roommate, your employer, your employees, when you're at your job, when you, when you, when you take a day off, remember Christ. Rest in the finished, completed work of Christ and fill up your days. Fill up your schedules with a responsive rest in the love of God and in the loving mercy toward those who are hurting. That's what Jesus meant. That's what he wants. Let the work of Christ that has saved us free us from the slavery that we were in bondage in spiritually and transform our lives, our minds, and our living and our loving. And let us take off the chains we've put on ourselves. Let us take off the chains we've put on others and the standards we insist they live up to and we get angry if they don't. Let us trust in our Sabbath giving Savior. So what about Sunday? I didn't actually plan on doing this, but what about Sunday? Is this the Sabbath? Are we in the middle of the Sabbath? No, uh, I would say no. I think scripturally this is not the Sabbath. This is the Lord's Day. In the New Testament they made a shift. In the, in the early church they made a shift away from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day, but it wasn't a full like one-for-one -one shift. It was a rejoice now that Christ is our Sabbath kind of day. And I think we actually start drifting back words with regard to the Sabbath if we come or we don't come on Sunday and we start feeling really guilty about the time we didn't come. 
If you come here out of a sense of guilt and out of a sense of earning points in the eyes of man or in the eyes of God, then I think we've got being with God's people all wrong. But if you've come to church on Sunday, if you, if, you, if, you, if you take a day off from working toil and you come to church and you focus on the Lord with God's people out of a response to Christ, our Sabbath, being here and for us and forever redeeming us, well, doesn't that make wanting to be with God's people on Sunday all the more attractive? If, if Israel needed once a week reminder that they don't provide for themselves ultimately, how much more do we need a reminder that we don't provide for ourselves spiritually, eternally? We need this reminder more than they needed a reminder to rest. We need a reminder to rest in Christ. We're here every Sunday to remind one another to rest in Christ. And hopefully we're, we're meeting with one another throughout the week to remind each other to rest in Christ. And hopefully we're taking off some time from work to remind ourselves to rest in Christ. God meant for the state of restful, working, co-ruling with his image bearers in peaceful and just and creative goodness to last forever. And friends, it will last forever. Jesus has redeemed us by his blood and his resurrection promise is that we will have a resurrection after our death. And in this final and forever resurrection, every day will be a Sabbath. Not a day off from labor or work, but an eternity off from believing the lie that it is our own work that sustains us short-term, spiritual-term, and eternally. Let's pray that God will give us that rest now and across our days. Lord, we do confess, as we did earlier already, our tendency to trust our daily work, our daily grind for our daily bread alone, forgetting your goodness to provide all that we need, refusing to rest from our self-reliance. And Lord, we confess our treachery to trust in our own goodness and obedience to save us from eternity. Lord, help us, help us to trust in your work to provide for us. Help us to trust in Jesus' work to obey for us and help us to respond to his obedience and his life and his death and his res resurrection and the love we feel from that that we didn't deserve. Help us to respond in gratitude and love and dedication to you in all that we do. Not just here at church, but yes, here at church. Not just when we rest, and take time off, but yes, when we take time off, and even when we work, help us to work as unto you. Oh Lord, you have made us glad by your work, and at the works of your hands, we sing for joy. Lord, help us sing for joy in our hearts. Help us to sing for joy with our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.